Salutations, listeners. Seaballus Vallejo. Baller Magulus. Nanu Nanu. Should I take another crack at that? No, that was salad. I like that. Nanu Nanu. Nanu Nanu. Nanu Nanu. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. For those of you listening at home, Mark, we haven't even introduced. There's this guy named Mark in the podcast. Yeah. And um, he likes to sing Nanu Nanu. It's true. We've done many takes. It's just like that. It's got the voice of like a metal I'm, mark. I'm personally, I'm more of the nanu nahu, nanu nahu. Oh like jeez, that, good... uh, that was Jackson, by the way. Yeah. Uh, I'm Colin McLeod. Uh, mark Culp still here. Action Jackson. And uh, we are the Ultra Crepidarians. Thank you for tuning in to Three Men in a Basement, the podcast that delivers to you very meandering intros, protracted intros even. Mm. Yes. We also have a tendency to review movies in this podcast, and we like to deliver to you, the listener, an average schmuck's opinion about hidden gems in the wide world of cinema. Um, We try and target movies in this podcast that are not super-duper obscure, ones that are not blockbuster smashes, so we're not doing uh, an Indiana Jones. Nope. Um, no Temple of Doom here. No Temple of Doom. We might do a Davy Jones. Yeah. And we'll take take it to the locker. What about an Avengers? Oh, an Avengers. You know, Avengers, mm. I hear that, uh, no. I'm, yeah. <laughs> Mighty, Hero, Mighty Hero Force, however, big fans. <gasps> so, we're not doing the big movies. We're not doing the Wii movies. We're doing the movies right in the middle where uh, you come to us and we dig these movies out of maybe an extended timeline or maybe out of slight obscurity or maybe out of that bin that you're like, I'll watch this eventually. We watch them, review them, and deliver to you our opinion about whether you need to finally take them out of that box. Pop them in the old uh, the old Betamax and, and watch them. Mm-hmm. In this, the 40th episode... <laughs> What? 40 is the new 20, though. So really, we're on the 20th episode. Yeah. 40? That's insane. That's crazy. Yeah. And to think that, like, we're getting paid to do this. Are we? So much. To think that Mark and I are getting paid to do this. So much. It's it's wild. Dude. Um, I got all new socks. (laughs) Oh. Tube. Ankle. Knee high. I'm so glad I'm paying you you enough. Do you have any boot? Oh, I want to get a boot. I'm just kind of waiting until I'm ready for it. Mm, I could use a new boot. Okay. Das boot? Das boot. We don't do that. That's too high profile. Dang it. Uh, in this, the 40th episode, we reviewed the movie... Sun Dirt. Uh, stellar Gravel. Planet Mud. Or, or, Stardust. Oh, that's what it was. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Planet Mud. Let's discuss. Planet Mud. I'm into it. That's that's a movie of some kind. Yeah, what I kind of movie is it. that? That's a porn. That, <laughs> I wasn't going to say it, but... It is. It is. I looked it up. Ooh. Now, now, tell me, Mark. <laughs> tell me. Tell me, Mark. What kind of porn <laughs> might Planet Mud be? Uh, large. Spherical. Little sticky. Dries out if left out. I feel like Mark is missing a key component of Planet Mud. Yeah. <laughs> Fine. Uh, so yeah, Stardust, pretty good. Uh, oh god. Yeah, we. Uh, so Planet Mud, also probably a band. I would say so. Planet Mud, Are we putting that down. Uh, like a puddle of mud cover band. No, I, I don't know. Mm. Planet Mud to me feels like uh, like sludge rock. Ooh, yeah. Right. That's probably a thing. Yeah. There's a there's a sludge something. Planet Mud. They're like, oh, what's what's that? What's that band? It's like Dirty Wizard or something like that. Something wizard. 
wizard of mud. Sand mage? <laughs> I have no idea what you're going to Alright, alright, hang on. We gotta get beyond Planet Mud. I know I just der- I derailed this. That's my fault. Planet Mud. This new is, band name. I called it. He's stuck in the mud. This is another one of those girthy intros. <laughs> uh Stardust. Okay. Yes. Wow. Initial reactions? Cherries even. Yeah, let's go over cherries. So, um going into this, I don't I, I hadn't thought that I'd seen it. Having seen the whole movie, I was maybe I had? Some of the elements were, were somewhat familiar, but it might be because I was working at the theater when this movie came out, and so I, I would have kind of been in and out, you know, throughout that experience. So we're going to say like a, a maybe cherry. Like an unripened cherry, like yeah. when they're still yellow on the tree. Yeah, yeah, yellow cherry, sure. Yellow cherry. Yeah. Okay. Definitely not a cherry for me. This mm. is this is uh, one of my go-tos. How many times? Oh, way more than a dozen, I can tell you that. I, I, I tell people I've seen this movie a hundred times. It might not be a hundred, but I've definitely seen it many, 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 many times. I'm in the same boat. I have seen this movie just an absurd amount of times because um, I really love it. We haven't discussed this, so I don't know. I think I can make an assumption about what Jackson's opinion about this movie Uh is. We haven't discussed just how we all feel about it yet, but this movie, in my opinion, is one of those movies that's like fits the bill of this podcast like almost perfectly. Oh yeah. Um, In my experience, again, I haven't checked the scores. Like we we got a metric on this, but I feel like not a lot of people have seen this, or not a ton, ton. Like there's a this is a subsection of the population, but I feel like this movie boxes way harder than the amount of people who have seen it, if that makes sense. Like, it, it boxes in a different class. It punches above its weight big <clears throat> yes. time. So, speaking of boxing, this movie came out in 2007. Yes. Sounds about right. That's uh, that's what we call a segue in, the, in ah, the, the industry. I always wanted a segue. Yeah. All right, Paul Blart. Very cool. <laughs> Very cool. Uh, PG-13. Thoughts? Solid. Yeah. Um, Definitely PG-13. Yeah. Like, and I, we'll dig into it, but like, there were a lot of scenes where I felt like they pulled punches, but then there were also a lot of scenes where I thought they punched harder than I expected them to. So yeah, I, I would say like a solid 13. I know it doesn't really make sense without the qualifiers, but like, yeah. Yeah. I, I wouldn't rate this PG, although with some alterations it could have been, but it wouldn't be the movie that it is. So yeah, I, I think say, you'd have to you'd have to alter a good amount. Yeah, uh, solid PG thirteen, two hours seven minutes. Thoughts? It did feel long. There's so much crammed into this movie. That's the like, thing. Like yes, it is perhaps a slightly longer film, and maybe there's a piece of you that can feel that, but there's so much going on all the time. That I don't feel like it feels like two hours and seven minutes. I was never bored. I feel like it feels like maybe like, oh, they went a touch past the tight 90. Yeah. Right? Like, they overshot a little bit on the, you know, hour and a half. And you're like, oh, wait, two hours and seven minutes? It didn't feel that long. Well, and it's one of those movies, in my opinion, that you feel like, oh, we've got to be coming up on the end. And then there's more. But wait. But wait. There's more. Yeah. If you order now, we'll also throw in a set of steak knives. I think that that kind of segues a little bit too into genres. I know we haven't quite jumped into that yet, but like the, the two hours and seven, I didn't feel like it drug on at all. I really jam on a good like adventure movie. And that's, that's one of the genres that we're going to be talking about here. I feel like it did a good job of like you getting lost up in the world. So absolutely. I, I personally did not feel like it drug on at all. Speaking of genres, what genres do we have? Well, as Mark mentioned, we have adventure, but there's also family, fantasy, and romance. Mm. I feel like that encapsulates it really well. 
Yeah, I think it's really good. I mean, yeah. family, I think, with slightly older kids. Like, I would probably watch this with, like, a 8-plus, maybe 10-plus oh, kid. I, like, I probably wouldn't watch it with my kids. <laughs> I went a different direction with the genre tag there. Because genre tag being family, I kind of just went literal in the sense that there is, like... Well, without getting into wipe up ways. Like a sense of unity? Or, like... Yeah. Like there is a family in the movie, is that what yeah, you're saying? Yeah, like, like, the movie is sort of geared towards a family dynamic. Oh. I don't... Okay. I get what you're saying? I get what you're saying, but I don't think the family tag is usually applied in that way. I think it's typically, like, appropriate for families or, but like, no, it, a good movie to watch with your family. Yeah, that, that makes more sense than what I was thinking, but it also But you're, you're not wrong. <laughs> you're not wrong that that does, that does fit. Uh, adventure. This movie is one of the better examples of an adventure movie I could give you. We also did like adventure, some babysitting. And in that we sort of talked ad nauseum about like the mummy. The mummy is in my mind, like the most classic example of an adventure flick I can think of. This movie really gives the mummy a run for its money. Not only in that way, but also everyone in this movie is gorgeous and I remember reading something online that was like, nobody is born bisexual. You watch The Mummy at a formative age, and the entire cast of The Mummy turns you bisexual. That's a fact. This movie could similarly fit that niche. Mm -hmm. If I, you know, I did watch this movie. I was a little older. For me, it was definitely The Mummy, not this movie. But if this movie were around in my youth, oh, Lord. Yeah. Oh, Lord. Dangerous. Lord have mercy. <laughs> Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> I was 15 when this movie came out. I was not. I, I similarly was not. But, yeah, 15. Did you get sweaty? Mm-hmm. Uh, Who do we have that directed this movie? So, on the director, we have Matthew Vaughn. What has Matthew done? Matthew has done Kick-Ass, X-Men First Class, Kingsman Secret Service, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels... Uh, so you've definitely... Didn't Guy Ritchie do Lockstock? See, is he an Lockstock? actor in that? Or oh, yeah, he... he's an actor in that. Oh, he's an actor. Yeah, okay. my bad. What did he direct? Uh, Kingsman, Kingsman the Golden Circle, Kingsman Secret Service, X-Men First Class, Kick-Ass, and of course so, Stardust. He's got like a pretty decent repertoire. Yeah. He did um, Rocket Man, too. Yeah. Burning out his fuse up there alone. Yep. Um, okay, so one thing that we need to mention is the writers of this movie. We don't normally go too far into the writers, except one of the writers on this movie just happens to be the very fella who wrote the story on which this film is based. And that person just happens to be... The illustrious, the everlasting Neil Gaiman. Neil Gaiman. Yeah. <laughs> author uh, of such classics as American Gods The Sandman Chronicles oh. and Good Omens which Amazon Prime isn't paying me to say this but Amazon Prime just released the second season of Good Omens uh, which Neil Gaiman co-wrote the book that that is based on with Terry Pratchett um, another winner he did some voice work in The Simpsons oh yeah who's that Neil Gaiman yeah did he that's funny that's Neil Gaiman Neil is Gaiman's so, everywhere he's so unbelievably creative yes um He's the kind of person that, like, I feel like, I mean, I feel like he gets plenty of credit, but at the same time, I feel like people don't often look at the breadth of his work and then compare it to, like, his contemporaries. The amount of creative shit that he has come up with, and not just, like, I came up with a world and I'm adding elements to that world. That's hard enough. You get props from me for doing that, but he, like 
fucking comes up with this unbelievable idea and he fleshes it out and he creates like the fucking Sandman Chronicles unbelievably creative but then he pivots and he fucking writes Stardust and you're just like where where does this come from where are you getting this and can I have a little bit well and the other thing is he's also an incredibly great orator Um, so he narrates almost all of the audiobooks that are made of his projects my favorite was American Gods because it was a full cast so they had the cast record it and then he would record the interims between chapters so I thought that was just a really creative way of doing an audiobook one of my other favorites that Neil Gaiman did was a collected works of Viking mythos and Norse mythos I have seen that yeah oh so good so Neil Gaiman you know him you love him if you don't know him I'll fight you Jackson will fight you and then probably say sorry and walk you to a bookstore or pull up a Kindle and be like, here's some Neil Gaiman for you as an apology for my assault. Read it at gunpoint. My bad. Okay, so (laughs) who do we have in this? Who don't we have in this movie? In this gorgeous cast. All right, uh, right off the bat, ooh, fucking Ian McClellan. Uh, Yeah, he was in the movie, but he was... He was the narrator. Cue another crack. Ian McKellen. What did I say? McClellan. Just if you give me another one, I won't have to leave it in. <laughs> it's not. I'll happily leave it in. I'm just saying, like, <laughs> it's Elon McClellan. Elon McClellan. 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 He's Welsh now. Uh, yeah, he's pretty good. Elon McClellan. Elon McCuck Ian McClellan. Yeah. Yes. Okay. All right. Give us it. Give it to us again. Elon McClellan. Just leave it all in. Whatever. <laughs> Ian McCullen. McClellan? McClellan. Fuck you. <laughs> uh, Gandalf. You're a wizard. Yeah. Gandalf. But you don't see his face. Oh, you know what? Shit. I did not recognize him as who he is. Hey, really? Justin. Yeah. Charlie Cox. Yeah. Uh, who I know better uh, for his role in, I guess, the more recent Daredevil movies. Yes. Or series, rather. As Daredevil. Yeah. Daredevil. He looked recognizable, but like I didn't, I didn't peg him as who he was. Interesting. Who else we got? Uh, Claire Danes. Dare Claines. An absolute gem. Um, or Ruby. Yeah. So you've definitely seen Claire Danes in quite a few things. Romeo plus Juliet. She plays Juliet. Yeah. Homeland. Briggsby Bear, which was actually on our podcast once. Wait, Shit. who did she play in Bri- Briggsby She Bear? was Emily. Emily. That doesn't help me. <laughs> uh, Emily was one of the people. Which people? In the movie. Oh, those people. Yes. Yeah. yeah okay. Oh, okay. See, now you got it. She no, was I, one of the friends that was helping him make his movie. Claire Danes was? Yeah. No way. Yeah. yeah. We're going to have to go back and rewatch it now. Yeah, I think we're going to have to rewatch. Uh, Master Nun. Temple Grandin. I also really loved her in Me and Orson Welles. She played Sonya Jones. Oh, who was she in Terminator 3? Kate Brewster. Oh, okay. But uh, yeah, Claire Danes. Total gem, total babe. Uh, who else we got? David Kelly, who you might recognize. First of all, he was Michael in Waking Ned Divine. Which he, we might be reviewing. It's possible. Because it's on our suggestion list. We have a suggestion list, yeah, guys, baby. now. Oh. He's Just... phenomenal in that movie. Absolutely phenomenal. He played Grandpa Joe in the 2005 Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. I wouldn't be putting that at the top of my resume. I wouldn't but either. He was his Grandpa Joe in that movie. But it was one we're of out, his, We're outing him right now. It was one of his more recent projects. Yes, I would say that's probably the most recognizable for me. And right in front of that was 
He played the priest from Laws of Attraction. And he also played Trival in Agent Cody Banks 2. Mm, oh, yeah. No, that's, that's where I know him from. Yeah. Yep, Agent Cody Banks 2. That's, yeah. That's man. where everybody would know him from. If I had a nickel for every time I saw that movie, I would not have any money. Right. And uh, while we're on the um, bisexual train, Ben Barnes. Ben Barnes. Ben Barnes. Prince Caspian himself. I don't think that C.S. Lewis would have loved you salivating over a male cast he member. No, he would have. He doesn't would've. have a choice because he's dead. <laughs> he is dead. That's, that is written down. It's a little dark, but sure. Uh, he was also Tom Ward in Seventh Son. Isn't that the the Seventh Son? Of the seventh son. Yes. Isn't that the, the dude? Yeah. Yeah. He is the seventh son. And also, Ben Barnes at his absolute finest in Shadow and Bone. Oh, Never saw Drool worthy. Anyway. Henry Cavill's in this fucking movie. Yeah, buddy. Cavill? It's Ian Cavill. McClellan. It is Cavill. <laughs> Ian McClellan. See, I am going to take another crack at it. So I am not on record as saying, <laughs> I'm fine being on that record. Um... Henry Cavill's in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> if you've seen The Witcher or Man of Steel, he plays the Superman. He was also in The Count of Monte Cristo with Jim Caviezel and Guy Pierce. I'm going to rapid fire real quick through like the last three. Nathaniel Parker, I would not have been able to give his name, but if anybody has seen Beverly Hills Ninja, mm-hmm. he was the bad guy. Yeah. That's where I know him from immediately. He was the English guy who was, you know, the bad guy. Peter O'Toole, who is one of the greatest actors of all time. Absolute legend. He is the sort of like main character, let's say, in uh, High Spirits. He was also Lawrence in Lawrence of Arabia. I mean, what else was... Wasn't he also in Troy? Yes. Yeah, Yeah, he played one of the older fellas in Troy because Peter O'Toole's been through the ages. Oh, he's a legend. And the last one is Mark Strong, who you'll definitely know from something... But he's probably going to be one of those faces and not the names. Um, I recognize him most from the Brothers Grimsby. He plays the not Sasha Barrett Cohen brother. And then I also know him from Sherlock Holmes. Yep. Uh, he plays the villain in the first Robert Downey Jr. Sherlock Holmes He was also movie. Merlin in Kingsman. Yes, yep. uh, he was. I'm going to throw one more in there. Jason Fleming is a face that you'll recognize, but he is one of those chameleonic actors that just kind of disappears into his role. Curious case of Benjamin button deep rising and the league of extraordinary gentlemen absolute phenomenal actor and he shows up in some of the weirdest places he's a really good actor he's very good. Uh, he plays dr jekyll and mr uh, yeah. hyde in league of extraordinary gentlemen i fucking love that movie oh that's a good one um yeah i think he, I think he was in a lot of guy pierce's movies i see yep. Lockstock on his like known by but he's definitely a a recognizable face very english looking if that oh absolutely that's a thing. yeah that's a thing right yep, like that's a thing yeah, so is Mark Strong, in my opinion, but... Well, he I mean, he looks like he works out. Yeah, he does. Um, okay, Strong so... Uh, <laughs> no, I, I, was, I was picking up what you were throwing down. <laughs> we just, we transitioned quickly <laughs> off of the joke. I was like, I want to make like, sure oh, that landed. Womp womp. Womp Let's uh, let's throw a summary in here, if we will, if you guys wouldn't mind. Perhaps I yeah. offering up to the table. In a countryside town. Bordering on a magical land, a young man makes a promise to his beloved that he'll retrieve a fallen star by venturing into a magical realm. <gasps> that's the movie. It actually hurt my throat a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think, like, that's one of those descriptions where it's like, 
All of that is correct, and that's probably all I would ever tell anybody, but just, like, buckle up, because the movie is, like, full beyond that. It like, is way more than that There's a lot more going on That's, than like, just the first that. ten minutes, really. Yeah, basically, yeah. Kinda, yeah. It's, but you really don't want to go further than that, right? Like, right. you want, yeah. It tees it up. You know. As opposed to like Victoria and Abdul, where it's like, this is about a relationship between Queen Victoria and Duel. a man named Abdul from India. And you're like, and you're like, yep, that's the movie. That every inch of that movie is just that. Yep. <laughs> yep. This is, this is not. You should still watch it, but that's the movie. Yes. Okay. So would we recommend this movie? A hundred thousand percent. Agreed. There's would- not a single person I've ever met that I wouldn't recommend this movie to. There are probably a couple that I would I would hold back on, but not many. And I think it's anybody who has an aversion to anything involving fantasy. Those are the people that I like. It, you know, there are people I'm like, oh, you blah blah blah, and I'll drop like a casual Harry Potter reference, and they'll be like, yeah, I've never seen Harry Potter. I don't like fantasy movies, See, and I'd be like, okay, we're not friends. In addition to me not wanting to continue this conversation or really know you any further than this conversation, yep. I wouldn't recommend Stardust to you either. Right. Okay, so for me, uh, yeah, I would recommend it. Watch what you say. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm not gonna. <laughs> I'm not gonna. Uh, I think I would recommend it more to other people than I would myself, and I can't qualify that at this point. Um, I enjoyed it, but I, I can feel a palpable difference between how much I enjoyed it versus how much you guys are frowning at me right now. <laughs> Jackson and I are actively <laughs> lacing up boxing gloves. <laughs> And that's fine. I'm here to make you upset. <laughs> uh, okay, I appreciate the honesty, but I would still, I, I would still, I would still call it a wreck. So we can right. still say wrecks all a wreck, around. as in recommendation. Yes. Not that movie was a fucking train wreck. Don't yes. you? <laughs> what you said? <laughs> no, no, I, I enjoyed it enough to recommend it to other people. So if if that's if that's what we're saying at this point, because we're not we're not rating it, we're gonna get in a scratch fight. Yeah, I know it, and that's good. Let's do it. That's good. Fine. Uh, but I I appreciate your candor. I don't, but that's fine. <laughs> uh, are we ready to? He brought back the Donald Duck. Thank you. He did. He never. That was Whoa, a that was a sexy Donald Duck. <laughs> Dude, Mark Did is you like, hear the jowls on that? <laughs> I kind of missed it because I was focused on your face, and your face was a mix between surprise and arousal. You yeah. got you got flustered there. Surprousal. Surprousal. <laughs> that that duck's got wrinkles. Okay, hang on. You know what? That was. I really want to dissect that, but I really want to talk about surprousal. Yes, because that's a thing now. Yes. So, um. It's not really a band, I don't think, but, like, getting so scared or startled that you, like, pop a boner, that's God, that's surprousal. Yeah. I don't want that, because... It's... I don't want it either, I'm just saying, it's Why a thing. Why do you think I watch horror movies all the time? It's, I can't deny that cancer exists just because it's a, you know, it's horrible. I don't want cancer, but it is a thing. Surprousal is a thing. No, it's no, kind of awesome. It's nobody like, ah, likes brrr. it. Yeah, but I would rather, like, turtle in at surprise, not like, you know... You know, again, I think it's the that's the, the standard reaction in the animal kingdom, right? But then you've Suck got the the fainting goats that, like, you know, it can't be a good defense mechanism to just like seize up and fall over. <laughs> that I mean, that is surprising, right? I mean, the goats they're not popping that. a boner, right? But they're, they're they are getting hard. They're getting quite. I suppose rigid. they are getting hard. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I, okay. 
I stand corrected. I mean, and they stand does it erected. does it have to be limited to the the phallic member? No, they go tits up. <laughs> they <laughs> goat tits, but yeah, yeah. But I mean, tits is tits, right? <laughs> they goat tits you know? up. You know, it's gross, but uh, goat tits up is a band name for sure. Goat tits up. Goat tits up. Or even just goat tits, like goat. Tits up with their hit single, Surprousal. I'm going to start working Surprousal into everyday conversations. It's going to be difficult because I don't get surprised. Oh, it'll be hard. It will be... God damn it. It will be... (laughs) I'll be in stiff competition. (laughs) Okay, so we're past spoilers. How does this movie begin? It begins by wall. Yes. So, okay. Build it. Hear me out. Let's think about this. This movie, like we said, is chock full of sort of like delightful little asides and a whole bunch of stuff going on. And I know we say this every week, but I feel like we should try to march through the bones of it and sort of leave a lot of the accoutrement to the side only because A, we could eddy there for a very long time. Oh, yeah. And B, I feel like that's a lot of the sort of like, you know, plucky, enjoyable parts of this movie are like the little... All the stuff they decided to cram into it, right? Yeah. So I don't want to kind of ruin it, even though we're in spoilers. Don't want to ruin it too much for the Can't listening take audience. Everything out of it. So it starts with a, kind of a flashback, so to speak. Yeah. You know, uh, the movie takes place 18 years after the first scene. This is a, a young man by the name of Tristan. Tristan's the son. Yeah. It starts with his father. Oh yeah, Dunstan. So, Dunstan. Dunstan. Checks in. Yes. Mark, have I ever told you that you remind me a little bit of Jason Alexander in the movie Dunstan Checks In? No. No, you haven't. I haven't I haven't mentioned that to you. I haven't mentioned that to you like a couple times a week for like the last four years. No? Okay. Mark is shaking his head emphatically. Looking for like 50 references of it. <laughs> Whatever. Um, yeah. Every single day. Okay. So <laughs> this movie starts with a voiceover. By Sir Ian McKellen. Sir Ian McKellen. And so that is something that we didn't mention in pre-spoiler times. Ian McKellen is the narrator of this movie. However, his narration, which is the case in some movies, is sort of limited to the beginning, I think maybe a patch or two in the in the middle, and then the very end. Yep. Um, it is not a constant revisiting of the narration, but he opens talking about a young man in a village called Wall, so named because a wall is running right beside it. I do like that they just sort of lay it out. They just, they don't describe where this wall goes. Like, does it encircle the town? Does it run somewhere else? What, what is going on exactly with this wall? There's no... Not important to the story. No, and I really appreciate that. And they do that a number of times. They're just like, we're going to walk away from this, and we don't owe you a, an explanation And at you all. can fill in the blanks with whatever you want. Right. So in this town called Wall, there's a young man who decides that he wants to cross the wall. Which um, no one has ever done. No. There's a little part of the wall. It, the wall's not that big to begin with. I mean, it's like a... What, like an eight foot wall? Yeah. Um like not even. Not even. Like it's like six you feet. Can, you can you can almost peer you can almost peer over it. Uh, maybe you can peer maybe a tall fella can peer over it. It's like the height of a person. Yeah. Yeah. I could jump and see over it. Okay. Yeah. So six ish feet. Um there is a part of the wall though that is broken down. Not a great deal broken down, just like a little kind of V in the wall. Um, and there's a guard that sits there night and day and makes sure that nobody crosses over and he tries to get in and how does it go? I mean, he gets through pretty he, well. He, yeah. He does Thank get God through. the guard was what, like 90. What was his 90. motivation again? I mean, I know, you he, know, he, he just, just wanted he just, to see. I think he wanted to cut through. 
Oh, yeah, because his, like, whole thing was, like, there's a field. It's yeah. just a field. He's, you like, know? go around. He's, like, no, it's just a field. I can just walk over there through the field. Uh, so he ends up walking through the field and stumbles upon a small village. And he goes in, and it becomes evident right away that this village is not in our universe. No. Um, mystical and magical things abound. There's a tiny elephant. There's a jar full of eyeballs that all just sort of follow him. Um, it becomes really, really clear very fast. And he ends up, as one does, right? He meets a princess who's been captured by a witch and enslaved. Um, allegedly. Allegedly. And then the witch fucks off to the tavern and he fucks off into the princess. Yep. Yeah, that was real weird. And, and just like, For you, maybe. Yeah, but it was like, Prude. hey... Here, dude, just come on up in here, this wagon here, and we're gonna, we're gonna... We're gonna lock the door, and if this wagon's a-rockin', don't come a-knockin'. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it was important for the story, but, like... If I saw either of those people and they propositioned me... Well, yeah, I mean, they were well, attractive people. For me... Is that just what happens with cute people? That's it, yeah. That is, yeah. That's, just bumping in wagons? So, that's why, that's why I, I, I read that in a book. Yeah. Once, and... and Written by Neil Gaiman? Y- yeah. And I was like, okay, okay, okay. So that must be how the rest of the world lives. And for me, this particular scene felt very much like telling a fairy tale, right? It was like, this doesn't happen to anybody ever. So it was very much like someone was reading a fairy tale out of a book kind of thing. But it becomes clear the further you watch that this is not just a fairy tale out of a book. Like, this is what the world is outside the village of Wall. Yeah, so zooming out, outside of the narrative, outside of that comment, I did want to mention that, like, I love the fact that this movie, this story, it is a modern fairy tale. Yeah. And I really appreciate that for it. It takes sort of the classic fairy tale elements, it combines a whole bunch of them for a sort of feature-length narrative. You know, it's not a Rumpelstiltskin, it's over in, like, 30 seconds. <sighs> that sounded dirty. <laughs> 30 seconds in the wagon, Rumpelstiltskin. <laughs> But it is, like, it is a sort of modern fairy tale, and Gaiman has sort of updated it for the modern palette, modern audiences, made it quippy and enjoyable in that sense. And I really appreciated that, because I feel like fairy tales feel so trite, and he sort of breathed new life into them. Anyway, sorry, so this young fella stoops with this young woman. He goes back to his village, and nine months later, she sends him a package through the UPS. Yeah. Package from his package. It's a baby. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, flash forward 18 years, we've got young Tristan. Yeah. Who also has delusions of grandeur and rising above his station. To be fair, I think the events of the movie suggest that perhaps they weren't delusions of grandeur. Right. They were recognition of grandeur. As far as he knows, they're delusions. (laughs) Yes, in this point in the movie, they are most assuredly delusions. (laughs) So, Tristan is a lowly shop boy who has a crush on the lovely Victoria, throwing rocks at her window, you know, trying to woo her gently. Um, it didn't begin and end with the rocks at the window. He's not He's not just bothering her. He, no. did, he did speak to her after throwing the rocks. And yeah. she's definitely leading him on. Yes, she, she is, is 100% stringing him on. The worst. Um, yeah. So he goes to his job at the shop, and she shows up, cuts in front of literally everyone, and demands <laughs> sugar and flour and potatoes and chocolate and eggs, and, and says... Someone to carry it home for him. And says, walk me home. And he's like, okay... So he does, and he gets fired for it. Big shock there. What happens when you abandon your job in the middle of the day? 
Yep, yep, yep. I'm a big labor rights guy, but I gotta say that particular that was display that I I don't know if I could justify him keeping his job after that. Yeah, that I'd was... be I would let him down gently, be like, hey, so you understand that letting her cut in front of literally the entire town who wanted to buy provisions and walking off in the middle of the day with no intentions of coming back is kind of a red flag. I feel like if he demonstrates that in front of the whole town with no shame, I feel like my question to him would be like, what if she came in? here and asked you to open up the safe and give her everything inside yeah he would yep like his his actions definitely demonstrate that that is exactly what he would do also i didn't see her pay for any of it no and i can't i couldn't justify that as an employer (laughs) right i mean she paid for it with his employment yeah she saved mr monday money by no longer employing a useless employee but in his defense he does the responsible thing and takes all of the money that he has saved to date and buys champagne and treats to take her on a a secret date in the middle of the night yeah not paying back his employer for losses it just doesn't make any sense like there's like a quick little scene where he gets pushed around by humphrey humphrey played by um Henry uh, henry cavill and like it's clear that victoria fancies humphrey and like everybody knows it but he's still like pursuing it and she lets him take her on this like weird little nighttime picnic and drink the champagne. I don't know. It just, it didn't make sense to me. Why. I don't know. It makes sense from her perspective. She gets free champagne. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to cut in real quick with one of my quotes, which we normally say for the end, but it is timely because we're discussing the scene. One of my quotes is actually not a quote from the movie. It is in fact a quote from Mark while he was watching this scene. <laughs> And after she says that she intends to marry Humphrey while sitting on this secret date in the middle of the night with Tristan, and out loud, Mark just goes, well, give him the champagne back then. (laughs) (laughs) We're just talking about how how good it tastes, you know? It's like, fuck you, man. It's terrible. She is using the hell out of him, and not, not in the good way. Is she, though? Because, like, he's being, like, so willfully ignorant that, like... I don't even, like, feel bad for him. No, you're not supposed to feel bad for him, but it still takes a shitty person to see somebody who is... Clearly naive. Yeah, and and just sort of lean into it and be like, yeah, I will accept all of these gifts and not say clearly and assertively, listen, Tristan, I am not interested in you. I want to be with Humphrey. Please stop sending me gifts. That is what she should have done. Yep. And it wasn't even that she was, like, too awkward to say no. She was loving it. And she loved the fact that they were, like, fighting over her and there was a competition going. Oh, the and... attention, the gifts, the doting. She loved every second of it. Worse. But at least she was, like, honest that, like, yeah, this is what's happening with Humphrey and I'm gonna probably say yes to Mary. And yeah. I'm like, I guess there's that. I don't think that's a defense. <laughs> I mean, she could have not said it. I'm not saying this to try to defend her. I still think she's, like, a butthole. But I'm just saying that, like, Tristan walked into this with both eyes open. Like, she signposted that she was not interested. Yep, she was like, hey, I'm marrying Humphrey in a week. Yeah, he's like, cool, I'm gonna make sure that doesn't happen. And she's like, um... Good luck, bud. (laughs) Go ahead and try, man. I think the reason why I don't mind so much is that, like, she puts up a wall and he just, like, throws himself against the wall. And then just stands up and throws himself against the wall again. Like, it's not... Which is a beautiful segue into what happens next. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, we should probably pick up the pace because we're, we're going yeah. nitty, yeah. you know, nitty gritty, but this is kind of fundamental. Kind of after she kind of just shares that what her intentions are with Humphrey, they both witness a falling star, shooting star, and some back and forth. And he says, look, to prove to you how much I love you, I'm going to go get that star and bring it back to you. And she makes this like silly agreement that like, all right, if you bring me this fallen star 
we'll get married. By, by my birthday. By my birthday in one week, I guess we'll get married. Which a perfectly rational person would be like, yeah, um, that's not actually possible. So this is me blowing you off. Right. But Tristan's just dumb. Yeah. He's a little dumb. Yep. Throughout the whole... Yeah. 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 This is how t- people typically find love. Yeah. Is uh, they, you know, they make a wager based on two competing quarters. And whoever wins, you know, obviously they love them for the rest of their life unconditionally. Right. Marriage. Marriage. That's... that's. I mean, that's marriage, guys. Well, that's how it works. Yeah. So this really is, like Mark said, this is the catalyst for the entire movie. This is what sets off... The quest. This is this is the quest. This is what sets off the sequence of events. The hero's journey. Yeah, that ultimately everything unfolds around. There is a small scene right before this where they actually cut to the kingdom of Stormhold, which is the kingdom on the other side of the wall, and there is this exceedingly grandiose castle. It's a little like the White Tower in the Neverending Story, where like it keeps zooming in, and you're like, oh. That's bigger than I thought. And then it zooms in again, and you're like, oh, shit, that's a window down there? Wow, this is really big. And then it keeps going. It's a little like that, right? It's like basically a fucking mountain. It's like 80 stories high. Yeah, it's like a mountain. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so it, it cuts to this, like king who's sitting in a bed and let's just give the top notes basically he has 10 sons i seven. think had seven. he had seven sons three of which were dead and four of which were still living and the whole thing is that this royal family achieves the throne by killing everyone else that has a claim to it at least that's the way that's what the father that's did. that's and the was, tradition and he was very proud of it Yes. That it was before his father was even getting sick, he had managed to knock off the other 13 brothers. Yes. So he's dying on his deathbed and is very disappointed in his sons that four of them are still alive. So he's got this jewel, the royal jewel around his neck. And he's like, all right, here's the deal. Since y'all haven't killed each other yet, I'm going to make y'all a deal. Uh, whoever restores my ruby will gain the throne. So the stone around his neck magically levitates and shoots off into the sky which we come to find out comes into a collision course with the star, which causes it to fall. That's how shooting stars happen. Yeah. Um, Get hit by a necklace. Yeah. So this shooting star is the same one that Tristan and Victoria see. It is also seen by three witches, one of which is played by Michelle Pfeiffer. Michelle Pfeiffer. Michelle Pfeiffer. Did we mention that Michelle Pfeiffer is We did not mention Michelle Pfeiffer. How did we miss that? That's really weird. She should have shown up on the thing. On the top billing. Little nugget for you. Dude, she's not even... No, that can't be right. That's so weird. Okay, you know what? Let's do this. We're going to leave this in as a nugget, and we're going to blame IMDb for the reason that we forgot to mention that Michelle Pfeiffer was in this movie, because she's for somehow not in the top-billed cast, and I have no idea how. And those of you that ventured beyond spoilers, like brave little boys and girls and others that you did, we appreciate you. Jackson appreciates you. I pity you. She's honest. Really far down. Yeah. So she's fucking amazing. And she plays one of three witches, sisters, who it becomes evident pretty quick. They're not only old and decrepit, but they can maintain their youth by eating the heart of a fallen star. And that seems really strange to the listener, to the viewer, until you see that a fallen star in the kingdom of Stormhold on the magical side of the wall is in fact Claire Danes and is a beautiful woman who has fallen to earth, left a massive crater, and shines when she feels giggly. Yeah, don't we all? So off Tristan marches, and what does he find? He finds the wall guarded by a 97-year-old man. 
I'm going to call him Pop Pop. Pop Pop. So uh, he goes to the wall. <laughs> Mark, Mark seems unsure about Pop Pop. He tries to go through the wall and pulls the same trick that his dad did, which was basically a, what's that over there? And then run past him. But Pop Pop has had 18 years since his dad pulled that trick to figure out how to pull a ninjutsu on his ass and drop him like a sack of hot potatoes. He went up to Scotland and he learned the national Scottish form of martial arts, which is known as fuck you. Yeah. The Rafikiism. Yes. Uh, so he wanders back home with his tail between his legs and tells his dad all about, you know, his bad experience with Victoria and this and that. And his dad finally decides that this is the time to tell him about his mom and about his personal journey beyond the wall and gives him the package that was in the basket that he was brought in, which includes a Babylon candle. Yeah, it's just like a black candle. They don't really talk about how it works or anything really about it. I don't think the mechanisms are well detailed, even in Stormhold. Even terribly important. No, not really. But in the note, I think it's referenced that like lighting this candle is the fastest way to travel or something like that. Yeah. Yep. Think of me. Yeah, she says, to find me, think of me and light the candle. Mm-hmm. So really without missing a beat, while he's still like up in the attic talking to his dad, he lights the candle real quick and boom, he is now at the star. Which, okay, there are many things in this movie for which you will have to suspend disbelief. One thing that did catch me, though, a little bit is for a boy who has never experienced a lick of magic to suddenly be transported through a magical portal on the back of a candle and then arrive in a crater. He seems to take it pretty well. He takes it very well. He's very well adjusted. Takes it in stride. He he doesn't, it really doesn't rattle him too much. There'd be a lot of shrieking on my behalf if that were the case. He even, like, arrives and says, Mother? Mother? As if that was what he expected would happen right? when he lit that candle. I would not expect that to happen. But hey, I'm me, he's him. It's worth noting that Claire Danes is not his mother. Yeah. Well, I mean, he makes, like, the quick, like, bit that, like, he was thinking about his mom, and then all of a sudden he thought about the star and what he had to get for Victoria. But anyway, let's see. So he meets the star. The viewer finds out the star is actually Claire Danes. He effectively kidnaps her. 100% um, kidnaps her. Like, chains her up to a tree, you know? Yeah, the witches are hunting her. They basically had to use the last of the last heart that they had. So Michelle Pfeiffer got young again, but then every time she uses magic, she gets old. So she's trying to use like low magical items. She's basically on battery saving mode. Yep. She's trying to use magical items that don't use too much magic in order to find the star, locate it. She's worried that another witch is going to beat her out. Meanwhile, in preparation for questing for the jewel, the princes, two of them are murdered and there are two of them left. Primus and Septimus, so the sort of heads and the tails. And they both set off, and they're seeking the jewel, but because Claire Danes is wearing the necklace that the jewel is in, because that's what knocked her out of the sky, they're kind of inadvertently seeking her as well. So everybody is just sort of converging on her and hunting for her. So the witches are hunting for the star to keep their youth and beauty. The princes are hunting for the jewel to restore their kingdom. And Tristan and Yvaine, played by Claire Danes, are marching back to the wall to present to Victoria. And in this, like Mark said, he has a magical chain that basically captures things. Let's just say that. And he ties her up to a tree. A unicorn comes by and cuts her loose. Because of course. Yeah. Which, this all sounds really, like... Insane? Yeah, like, it seems like too much. It doesn't feel like too much in the movie. No. But it, it sounds, when you're describing it, it feels like, wow, this is this is too this is too much. It feels organic to the story, but yes. the story's bananas. Yes, 
And that's kind of its thing, right? Is it's 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 way over the top. Let let me offer nope. uh, a yep. counterpoint. Oh boy! That here we go, you, Jackson. <clears throat> strap the gloves on. You you just mentioned a little bit. You said it feels like it's too much, but you know what? It does. I said I, when I describe it. Right. Uh. Uh. For me personally, and I know that I am isolated, uh, <laughs> based upon the daggers that I see coming out of both of your <laughs> eyes toward me. You know, they're not having fun anymore. You know, that's why I'm here. I felt like it was too much. Um, I still enjoyed it, this bit that we're discussing right now, you know, uh, but clearly I am in the minority in thinking that maybe perhaps it was too much. And hey. that was Mark's minority report. You're like, where the fuck does this unicorn come from? It's Why? magic. It's old friend. There are right. unicorns everywhere. Where did it come from? Why did it let her go? What was Listen, its desire? when a mommy unicorn and a daddy unicorn love each other very much, they clap cheeks sure. and make unicorn babies that sure. then free stars that are chained to trees. What are you not getting about this? What do unicorns and fallen stars have in common? The answer, nothing. Magic. Ma- oh, uh, oh, 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 oh. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So uh, back to the story. So cuts you, her loose. Yep. She climbs on the unicorn and the unicorn is sort of like taking her through this forest. Meanwhile, the witch sort of got ahead of her and she can stay in communicado with her sisters because she's got zoom through her ring. She's got a zoom ring. Yep. And so she rubs her ring and then a zoom window pops up and she talks to them. And the connection's pretty good. I didn't think Stormhold would have as good a Wi-Fi as they do, but honestly, it was it was incredible, seamless. Uh, and so they've got Starlink, <laughs> OnStar. Ooh, that's good too. Um, okay, okay. So Star Pie. <laughs> I had nothing. Good thing. Uh, so uh, the witch sets up a trap. She knows that the unicorn and what was her name again? Evane. Evane. That they're headed in a particular direction down a particular road. Witch gets in front of them, sets up this fake inn. She uses some of her magic to create an inn. Side note, probably takes a lot of magic to create an inn, right? I would think so. Yep. Not a drop. Doesn't affect her. Yeah. I don't think you are qualified to weigh in on how much magic it takes to make an inn versus uh, try and fix your... That's accurate. Saggy witch titties. I will which say... Which was a part. I'm not making that saggy up. Saggy witch titties. I will Band say... Band name. Big saggy witch titties. Yep. <laughs> I will say... Wait, saggy witch titties or saggy witch tits? Mm-hmm. I feel like the second one has a better cadence. But one but... had more of a lop than the other. Can we go saggy witch teat? Or should we keep it plural? I think, I think tits. Tit. Oh, tits? Okay. Saggy witch tits. Saggy witch tits. Oh. I will say, though, I'm in Mark's camp on this, in oh. that that was, like, the glaring, obvious bit to me. Like, she turned the guy into a goat, and she got, like, liver spots on her hand. The witch. Yeah. And then she turns this chariot into a full-fledged five-bedroom in, complete with stables and a kitchen and a roaring fireplace with a giant hearth and a tavern and nothing. I'm not saying you're wrong. What I'm saying is the thing I love about this movie is how fucking unapologetic it is, right? <laughs> we already covered this with the wall. Like, there's like the wall is something you could pick apart. Oh, where absolutely. does it go? It just to infinity. And how does it and keep the magic out? Where does it end? Like, but it didn't but, take me out. But it, not, that's the thing. I'm is not like, complaining. That's the thing. Is like the writers, Neil Gaiman especially, but then the you know the the writing staff on the movie. They found a way to basically be like, we need fantastical things, and we're not going to fucking spoon feed you why all of it makes sense. Yeah. You know, for all you fucking know, inanimate objects take less magic to transmute than living objects. Yeah. So yeah, she turns a guy into a goat. And it takes a lot. 
She turns a chariot into a pickle stand. Sure, fucking do it six times a week. Go nuts. Like, it's so fantastical. Yeah. And there's so much crammed in that you can just sort of make something up to limp along. I wouldn't call it a plot hole. It's like adjacent to it, but I don't think it would be a game changer. And for that reason, I feel like as a writer, you can just kind of walk away from it. Yeah, for me, it was just kind of silly. It was like, "Mm, all right, I'll allow it. And then just kind of move on. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, though, I brought this little fissure up. And I will say that while I noticed it, it didn't pull me out of the scene. It didn't ruin the movie or anything like that. It was just something I noticed. <laughs> anyway, she ends up at the at the end, the witch inn. She goes in. She's relaxing. The witch is telling her about, oh, I'm going to give you this massage. The, the star is. Yeah, 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 yeah. Gets her on a bed. She's about ready to stab this woman in the heart. And there's a knock at the door. Yeah. And it ends up being the prince. And Tristan, who just kind of happened to bump into each other and they kind of knew that they were both heading in the same direction. Well, let's be clear. Tristan bumped into him quite literally by running at the carriage, jumping to catch onto it and smacking face first into the side. Kind of an important aspect to that is Tristan knew to try to get onto that carriage because he decided to basically give up, laid down, fell asleep. And then the stars, uh, her sisters, kind of woke him up with some exposition, basically. He woke up to them saying, like, you got to go save our sister. She's in a trap from the witch just down the road. There's a carriage you've got to get on. Otherwise, you won't make it there in time and she'll die. But then it also explained sort of what happened to the last star that fell. The witches tricked her, and they dropped hints before this, but this really said it explicitly that in order for the heart to be the most potent it can be, the star has to be comfortable and happy, and that kind of makes them glow, and that's when you want to remove the heart when they're happy and glowing. So that's why the witch is pampering her. Yeah, if they're scared, or if they're worried, or if they're whatever, it won't have as much magic, I guess you could say. Yeah. So Primus is riding in his carriage to chase this ruby, and Tristan bumps into him. They ride to the inn together, and they interrupt the witch, catch her in the act, as it were. And They catch her in the rye. Primus decides, oh, there's a bathtub here that's full of hot bathwater. I'm going to wash the road off of me. So he lays down in the bath, and Yvain comes down, and he's like, oh, yes, you must be the innkeeper. Wait, the necklace! Bring me the necklace! And that's when the witch comes down and literally slits his throat in the middle of the bath. She relieved his neck of some blood. Yes. Blue blood. Blue blood. Um, Which was probably because they wanted to maintain that PG-13 rating. Honestly, yeah, probably. More than likely. A slit throat in a PG-13 movie is really severe. You're probably exactly right that it's... But, like, it's fucking magic. Who cares? It's blue blood. And they're royals, so the whole, like, they're blue bloods. Um, Also, one thing that... I feel like as many times as I've seen this, you know, sometimes you don't notice things until you look at them with, like, a more critical lens. Mm -hmm. One thing I feel like I didn't appropriately identify while I was previously watching this was Primus is like actually a good guy. Yeah. And they call it out explicitly like the priest guy. He says to Primus like you need to find it so your brothers don't. Our first benevolent king. And then like it becomes evident that he didn't kill any of his brothers. All of the killing was done by other brothers. And then he's also just like a pretty decent guy. Like Mm -hmm. Tristan like out of the woods fucking like attacks the side of his carriage and he could have killed him and he's just like all right come with me yeah (laughs) yeah all right come on he's like it's gonna take a lot more than that to end my game here he's actually a pretty decent he's just gonna drive (laughs) off and leave him in the woods which of the things that you could do to a stranger who just attacked your carriage is probably the most probably probably the nicest yeah (laughs) yeah anyway all this discussion of his merit is not really merited because he's dead 
Um, Mucho dead. As <laughs> Mucho dead. So that just kind of kicks off a little scene where they're trying to get away from the witch. So right? basically yeah. they get cornered and she basically is burning the fucking place to the ground. They have just the teeny tiniest bit of a Babylon candle left. And uh, Tristan holds Yvine, uh and basically says, think of home and then puts his hand into the flames and lights the Babylon candle. Unfortunately, there's two people who are now sort of attached to the candle. Who have different homes. And they both thought of home. And so her home is in the sky. His home is in wall. And they ended up halfway between in the clouds. And his hand is no longer burned. Yeah. No, it is. It is. They actually, they? yeah, they do. I'll, they they, they bandage call, his hand up and everything. Oh, and they call okay, to it uh, when, when they're like tied together. She, like, grabs his hand, like, sweetly, and he kind of, like, winces. They show it, it's kind of burned, and, like, he winces, and okay. then he kind of smiles. I, did, yeah, I didn't I didn't notice that. I part. actually didn't notice the hand-grabbing thing either until... Fair enough, uh, fair until enough. Until this, this watch, but... They picked up by pirates in the clouds. Yeah, as, yeah. as one does, yeah. right? Lightning know. pirates. Yeah. Which is so fucking creative. It's so cool. Like, it's the steampunk-style ship. It's a dirigible. Actually, I have curtains in my bathroom that are basically this ship. Think of a sort of old-style galleon kind of pirate ship. Like a brigadine almost. But instead of having masts, it has ropes that go up to uh, like an inflatable bladder, and the ship acts as a dirigible and sails through the skies. If If you are familiar with the word steampunk at all, you know exactly what I'm describing. If you've never heard that word before... Look um, it up and look it up, and it will be one of the first pictures. But basically, they sail through the fucking sky, and they have these giant metal nets that extend from each side of the ship, and they get struck by lightning, and then they harvest the lightning, bottle it, and sell it. And it's just like there were so many fantastical things in the story already. You didn't need to do this, but he it did. Was so cool, Neil Gaiman did, and it's fucking awesome. It worked really well. I it's would so love. Cool. I would love to be a steampunk lightning pirate. Wouldn't we all? Yeah. But, Jesus, I mean, have you seen, like, first of all, what they get paid? Yeah, it's not great. Second of all, I mean, competitive field? Like, they won't even look at you if you don't have a master's in it. Right. And, you know, you probably need a PhD and some postdoc work. Not to mention, it's very illegal. Well, yeah, obviously. Yeah. No, I mean, that's... That well, I mean, you can't saying. harvest lightning without a license. Yeah. You know? Most people have a PhD in crime in order to do it. Yeah. Right. Right. Uh, so they get picked up by these pirates, and it's kind of funny in that, like... It starts off, you know, they're bound, they're in the brig, it's this whole serious thing, and the captain, we didn't mention that fucking Robert De Niro's in this movie nope. either. <laughs> wow. <laughs> we also we also didn't mention there were two other people, so Rupert many. Everett's in this movie. Yeah. Who was also, was he, who was he? by the way, he was in Dunstan Jackson. <laughs> Um, and then, uh, Mark Williams, the guy who plays Mr. Weasley in Harry Potter and he's in the borrowers and shit. He is also in this. Anyway, so they're in the brig and who walks through the door? Fucking Robert De Niro. Robert motherfucking De Niro. De fucking Nero. Yes. The De Nier. And he's like all like angry. He's playing the the Captain Hook, you know. Captain Shakespeare. Yeah. Super funny. Super great. Gets him alone. Uh, how does he? How does he do? It? Well, so first of all, even in that scene, it's kind of funny because he knows all of his men are listening at the door, and he starts like talking about what he's going to do to them. And every time he says something particularly gruesome, all the pirates go, ah, ah, and he gets all, you know, he knows he's sort of revving them up. 
And then he, like, very dramatically goes into this monologue that ends with him throwing a mannequin overboard. And his his men knew he was going to throw some, throw the, he thought he, they were throwing them out of the window. So they run up to the deck and they just see this body-shaped figure plummeting to the earth. Um, then he drags Claire Danes up on deck and uh, drags her to his quarters, saying basically anybody who disturbs me for the next couple hours is going to get the same and uh, <laughs> one of the pirates is like, you mean you're going to? And he's like, no, I'm going to throw him overboard. <laughs> oh, yeah. So he's sort of setting this thing up where, you know, he's going to um, defenestrate them. I was talking more about what he's going to do to her. But, fair. you know, it didn't seem super nice what he was suggesting. So he goes down to his quarters and Tristan is waiting there. Clearly didn't throw him out the window. And then all of a sudden, his demeanor changes, his voice changes, and he becomes very flamboyant. Yep. Uh, very, uh, very extra. Mm-hmm. Becomes very extra. And he is just dazzling, let's oh, say. Oh, absolutely. Um, he is a very, very happy pirate. And it basically spills out almost immediately that... He didn't really want a career in piracy. He wanted to act. He wanted to experience the world. He wanted to travel, go around, do all this stuff. And um, his, he sort of took over the family business. And unfortunately, part of that piracy business is you have to maintain a very tough persona, being cutthroat and bloodthirsty and all this shit. And he heard stories of England. Again, kind of, it was cool because he's like hearing stories about England in the same way that we hear fairy tales, right? And like, no, there's no way that place really exists. And he's hearing all these rumors about England and he dresses them very well. And then through a con, basically convinces them that Tristan is his nephew and that he's giving Claire Danes to Tristan, but everybody sort of knows what's going on and just sort of goes along with it. Yeah. The star was surprised when she saw Tristan, right? I'm just saying, like, when we walked in the scene, it appeared that she was surprised. Like, oh, there's Tristan. He's not actually dead, right? I don't know. I don't remember that exactly. What you're saying is painting a picture in my head, but I don't know if it's accurate. She may not have been as surprised. She had to have been in on it. She, maybe. She was in the room when he threw a mannequin out. Well, but then she says, where did you get that mannequin from? Mm-hmm. Okay, so, okay. Sorry. Um, I'm just trying to shit on it. And yeah, you guys you're are fine. Preventing me from shitting. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna keep your your butthole closed. So uh, another name that we forgot to mention in this movie is Ricky Gervais. Yes, he was uh, my favorite character. He was the best. <laughs> uh, so they pull into a port and they sell some lightning and sell it to Ricky Gervais. That's a dope sentence. Yeah, pull into a port, sell some lightning, literally. <laughs> and. Uh, yeah, so there is a sort of montage that basically involves Tristan learning swordplay, how to fight, how to dance. They're telling Robert De Niro's character about England and about what's going on, catching him up. And also Tristan and Yvine are falling in love. Aww. They land part ways and then head off to Wall as quickly as possible. Which is 60 miles out. To make Victoria's birthday. In two days. I um, think we could probably march through the next little bit pretty yeah, quick, Yeah, right? so, so they're they're moving towards the wall. At the same time, the other characters who are in search of, we've got one prince left. What's that prince name? Septimus. 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 So he is also flying in that general direction. The witches 
tip off Michelle Pfeiffer's witch. So everyone's converging on the wall at, at one point. The wall and the village that's like immediately adjacent, the one that his father went to when yeah, he was young. Which yeah. is part of Stormhold. Uh, yes, which is on the Stormhold side yeah. of the wall. Yeah, they, they stop at that town. Tristan and Evine get their bumps on. They basically admit that they love each other. Yeah, they're, they're bumping uglies. They're bumping pretties, let's be honest. That's true. Tristan gets up early in the morning, cuts off some of her hair. You don't really understand why he's doing it at the time. Relays a message to the innkeeper to share to Evane. He's a pretty trustworthy guy. Yeah. yeah. I would trust him to deliver my messages. Yeah, got it wrong, but whatever. I'm not, he's not an answering machine, right? And the guy's, the guy's got a hookah in his hand while he's passed out. Like, I mean, this dude's, this dude fucks. Yeah. And by Fox, I mean Fox's his brain because he's clearly like this dude's intoxicated. He's yeah. the opium caterpillar. Yeah. Tristan goes across the wall alone, heads back to his hometown, presents the hair to Victoria. She clearly is not enamored with a sack of hair. Um he goes over there basically to tell her off. Yeah. To be, basically to put that chapter of his life to bed. He went over there to basically be like, fuck off. She doesn't open the thing until later. Right, but like... She did say it was small, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I think that he was like playing it out as he like intended to, to see if he would get the response that he expected. I think you're right, but I don't think no matter what her response was, his intention was to like abandon Claire Danes. Yeah, my my interpretation was that he already knew where his heart was at. Yes. And he was still just going through the motions because he said he was going to do it and she responded sort of the way that he anticipated that she yeah. would. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like he almost like left it open just to kind of like see how she would react, but he was clearly already in love and this was not about that anymore. He's yeah. basically just fucking with Victoria's brain at this point and been like, "Oh, so you are as shallow as I thought you were." Yeah. Like he was um, trying to prove it to himself. Yeah. Maybe. So he like holds her close and brings her down into a dip and he, she's like, you know what I want. And he's like, yeah, you want to grow up. And then just drops her on the ground and tries to walk away. Baller move. Oh, beautiful. Baller and then she move. opens up the little parcel and she's like, why would I want just a hanky full of stardust? And he's like, stardust? Wait a second. Oh, shit. And realizes she can't cross the wall because there's no magic in the village. And it's, it's, it's she said being the star. Right. Yeah, and it's said a little bit more explicitly uh, as well by the witches. Like, if she crosses that wall, she'll be nothing more than a lump of metallic rock. And so Claire Danes is making her way to the wall with the intention of crossing because the really fucking stupid bellhop guy was like, Yeah, he went to the other side of the wall to, you know, Victoria, true love. And that's all he said. Yeah. And they were like, Oh my god! And she's like, Alright, I gotta, I gotta hear this straight from the horse's mouth because... If it's true, I'm going to kick his ass. There's so a she, joke in there somewhere. Yeah. Horse's mouth, ass, donkey. Yeah, it's I, there. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't put it together. All but the ingredients are there. It just has to be cooked right. One of the listeners, if you would be so kind as to cook that for me and, and send it in on electronic mail, that would yeah, be great. Yeah, that'd be great. So she's like inches from crossing the wall and she is stopped by this mysterious princess that, as it turns out, is Tristan's mom. And the witches catch up and the head witch, Michelle Pfeiffer, takes possession of both the star and the princess and fucks off to her castle. Takes them back to her lair. Uh, and Septimus is not far behind. Hot on the trail. Yeah, Tristan makes it back to the wall just after they leave. He takes the horse from the carriage and chases after them. Septimus is right behind. So they're all converging on the witch's castle now at the exact same time. Like a couple yards, if a dozen, between them. They all make it to the castle. A battle ensues, and it's basically Tristan, his mom, and Septimus against the three witches. Claire Danes is... His mom's kind of out of the picture. 
Claire Danes is sort of out of the picture too. She's like strapped down. And so two of the witches die. Septimus is killed. And that is basically just Tristan and the big bad baddie. Yeah. And they square off. As you can imagine, she slaughters him just horribly. Uh, he dies and the movie ends. Yeah. And it's really dark. Right. That happened. Yeah. Uh, uh, how, how does he like flip it around on her? Oh. Mark's not impressed with how it ended. But anyway. No. Uh, <laughs> Tell the, us how it ended, Mark. The power of love okay. decided to defeat oh the witches. Oh my god. Okay. Yeah. So. Mark hates love. We've, uh, we've established this. I felt like this was a cop-out. <clears throat> um, he's clearly bested somehow or another. Evane? Yep. gets up and like hugs him and this is like as the witch is about to do like the death blow and she's like cover your eyes you know and he's like why he's like what do stars do and he's like they shine or something like that i forget what the line is he's intentionally fucking this up yep. to make it sound yeah stupid. fine whatever <laughs> and then she decides to just like i don't know supernova or whatever like she just starts glowing really big and it just blows the witch up and uh, he asks a question, uh, Tristan, the same question that I asked, um, like, just out loud. Where the fuck was that, you know, five minutes ago, basically? Like, when did you learn how to do that? And she's like, I couldn't because I, I needed to love you or something. Her heart was broken, you fucking <laughs> lug. <God. laughs> oh, I couldn't do it without you. Sure. Uh, God, I don't know. I don't. I Guys, I know you loved it. And I'm not trying to shit on your You love. are. You are <laughs> definitely trying to shit on it. Okay. God, you want me to be honest, or do you want me just to roll with it? Okay, roll yes. with it. Roll with it. I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, just like it, you coined an expression, I think last week, Jackson, the the resolve all plots button was pushed. Yeah, which is dead, and it's clear that the princess that birthed Tristan in the beginning was the sister of the princes. So that means that Tristan has royal blood, and upon holding the ruby. Yeah, well, I mean, it's like just a it gem. It was just a clear gem until but, he picked it up, yeah, and then he, it turned into a ruby. But well, the king calls it a ruby. He says yep. only a true heir can restore the color to the ruby. Yeah, I guess we didn't even cover that. Yeah. Initially, when the gem is thrown out, it goes from being red to being transparent. Anyway, that's not really important. It's not but super important. It does highlight at the end that like he's the, the chosen one, more He's or less. the sole surviving male heir to the Stormhold kingdom. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so he becomes king. They rule for, like, 80 years, and then they use a oh, yeah. Babylon candle to travel up into the heavens and live out eternity as stars, which is fucking baller, Mark. Yeah, yeah. So, like, the whole movie, the witches are trying to get to the heart of the star so they can eat it. It's even Septimus, who we didn't really allude to, is actually kind of a bad guy because he also... Wants He's to... always been a bad guy. Yep. Yeah, well... They, they that was never together. in question. Well, there was that you you mentioned that in the climactic scene, it's the witches versus Septimus and Tristan and them. But it was really, a slightly less bad baddie than them, yeah. But his intention was to get Evane and also eat her heart. Yes. Wow. Uh, because then he could live forever and be king forever. Right. Um, Tristan doesn't need to eat her heart because she gave it to him freely. Because she loves him, you ass. No, no, it's beautiful. Uh, so that's that's how they could live for the 80 years. <laughs> wow, I didn't realize that this is going to be the thing that broke our friendship. 80 years. Give up power willingly. Yeah. They go live in the stars. Yeah. Real which George is, Washington, you know, whatever. Which is Stormholds, Florida. Queen Elizabeth could right? never. No. And here we are. Mark's complaining. Yep. So we fuck off to the stars. It's beautiful. Everybody's happy. 
And Except Ian, for Mark. And Ian McKellen just eases us out. Yeah. And uh, roll credits yeah. on what was a remarkable movie. I love this Really movie. good movie. Um, and Mark agrees. So that's that's the three all around. Yeah. But, you know. Um, okay. So, Mark, what did we like about this movie? Okay. Let me, let me preface <laughs> everything that's to come after this because I'm gonna, I'm gonna have fun tearing on it. Um, I, I still, I, I did enjoy this movie and I'm taking a devil's advocate position because you guys don't want me to. I am gonna, I'm gonna act as though I hated this movie more than I did. All right. There's your little silly olive. Aww. This is an olive branch. Here's an olive branch for you. We can still be friends. When we're done, okay. We can't be friends. What the? <laughs> He's family. I'm stuck with him. Okay. Damn it. God damn it. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about things that we liked. We liked. Okay. I really enjoyed. I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to steal your thunder, Jackson. I enjoyed the cinematography. I also enjoyed the cinematography. I was gonna say it too. I enjoyed the sweeping vistas. Yes. I enjoyed that we were basically in New Zealand. You know, okay, so as far as cinematography goes, you know what, like, one scene that jumped out to me that I was just like, they didn't need to do that. They did, and it was awesome. They didn't need to do that. There was, like, a shot, and it was all CG, but it was still fucking cool. There was a shot where, like, it's a kind of, like, a pulled back shot of the pirate ship dirigible thing, and they sort of zoom in, and then they zoom in on, like, this, the nets that are catching the lightning, and then they basically just follow the lightning, like, oh. down the net, through the tubes, through the things that's capturing it, into the fucking bottle, and then they back back out so you can see the guys, like, capturing the, the and fucking lightning. And it's Tristan lightning. capturing the lightning. Yeah. Yeah. And Evine as well. Yeah. Was, they were capturing it together, but... That was a good scene. That was I, awesome. I, I that was cool. Uh, I also enjoyed the very colorful characters. Every character felt different and, and vibrant, and there was definitely some, like, I'm, I'm going to say, like, overacting but i don't mean that as a negative like i enjoyed the the colorful personalities nobody was subdued no not at all um and i think even the most subdued character in my opinion which was ditchwater sal the witch that had una imprisoned yes uh that was ditchwater sal and she was totally not important to the story at all except for the fact that she was an unwitting vessel to carry the star where it needed to go. Like, everybody in this movie served a purpose in the grander scheme of the story. Well, she did imprison his mom. Yeah. I would say the most boring character in this entire movie is Tristan's dad. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, that's what I thought you were going to go initially. I was like, yeah, he's very vanilla. Yep. But even still, he crossed the wall and experienced magic and impregnated a princess. That's pretty That's pretty baller. I've never done it. He's I've also never done it. Both of the dudes that played him were very charming absolutely yeah. Yeah. um uh, the last thing that i wrote down is something that i liked and i know i'm kind of hogging airspace here uh just the creativity of this movie this movie uh, is so fucking creative so mm-hmm. yeah um i don't know if there's a lot of movies that could claim this level of creativity yeah, no, I really enjoyed that aspect. The flying ship was amazing. I enjoyed all the ghost brothers and their riffs off each other. I thought that was super creative. We didn't even mention there. the ghost brothers, but... Um, yeah, and the world building was really oh, good. absolutely. You know? Um, but that's that's Neil Gaiman, right? Like, absolutely. that's what he does. He is so good at constructing a sort of creative new universe to explore. But he doesn't shy away from, like... One thing that oftentimes, in my opinion, makes a good fiction novel like oftentimes fantasy or sci-fi but it you know general fiction this can work too is like you take the world and you say 
Yeah, but what if this? Mm-hmm. One, one line. Yeah, but what if blah, blah, blah. And oftentimes that one change will give you just an unbelievably wide breadth of things to explore. Oh my God, it would change this and it would change all this shit too. Blah, blah, blah. And it would just sort of cascade down and really fundamentally change everything. Neil Gaiman has a tendency to not do that. Yep. But it's the kind of thing that like I wouldn't recommend to anybody who's not Neil Gaiman. He has a tendency to change a lot of elements, but be able to maintain a consistent story that feels real. He's got right? a superpower it's, for writing cohesive fantasy fiction. Which is challenging if you don't take the prescription of like, and then what if this one thing, right. one thing, one. He's like, yeah, but I'll change 50 things and somehow it'll still feel real and the characters will still be vibrant and you won't be like questioning, yeah, but what if blah, 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 right? Okay, so something that I loved about this movie is like how well-rounded it is. This movie is just any adjective you could throw at it. It's funny, it's witty, it's action-packed, it's magical, there's love, there's horror, there's thrills. Like, there's just not a lot of stuff missing from this movie, which is weird because usually when you, again... Back to the Neil Gaiman, like, million thing man. Usually when you have too many things in a movie, it feels like they're competing and it falls flat. But in this movie, nothing fell flat. Somehow everything worked cohesively to make a really interesting story. And it's like, typically I can't be, like, surprised or, or like, ooh, oh my god, that's kind of horrific. And then laughing, like, two scenes later. That's yeah. a very rare thing, Well, and right? you've got three storylines playing out simultaneously all converging on one plot point. So you've essentially got four main characters. You've got Tristan, you've got Evane, you've got Septimus, and you've got Michelle Pfeiffer, who I can never remember her character's name. But you've basically got four main characters, two of which are protagonists, two of, two of which are antagonists none of which are on the same side. Uh, so you've got three narratives all playing out in very fantastical ways, in very different geographical locations. They're all touch points here and there. It's kind of hit or miss, you know, like, ah, I missed him this time. I'll take a shortcut and catch him on the, the road. Catch him on the flip side. Catch him on the flip that's, side. That's what they said. Is that catch, catch on the flippity flip. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm going to say it again. What I loved the most about this movie is the cinematography. Absolutely. There's one scene where they're casting runes to, like, find out which way to go, and Septimus oh, yeah. throws the runes up really high, and the camera zooms in on the rune, and then as it zooms out, the witch is casting black runes, and the runes drop exactly in her hand, and it's just this beautiful transition. They had a lot of fun with the transitions between scenes, but you've got the sweet, like like he said, the sweeping vistas, you've got the close-up cams, you've got like everything you could want, and beautifully done CGI. Yeah, well, you know, it's 2007, so they, they still, I think, took the prescription of, like, CGI where we must, practical where we can. Yeah. Right? And I appreciated that a great deal. I think this movie is a good example of a balance, right? Like, a balanced CGI practical budget. For example, the scene where Septimus is facing off against the witch, she basically takes a voodoo doll and plunges it underwater, and suddenly... Septimus is floating around as if he were underwater in the air. Which answered a very long open question for me. What happens if you put a voodoo doll in water? Yeah. I have an answer for that now. Yeah. Thank you, Neil Gaiman. But the fact that they filmed it with practical effects. So he's like Mark Strong is literally under the water filming this. 
and they basically take that footage and just macro it onto the scene in which they're filming. Yeah, it was a cool effect. I, I thought that I enjoyed was that. awesome. So cinematography one, the score was phenomenal. It was pretty good. Yeah, now that you mention it. Like, I, I didn't really give much of a thought when I was watching it, but... But it yeah. evokes all of the right feelings for the scenes it was that big. you're in. It was big. It was fantastical. Yeah. So, like, cinematography, I thought, I totally agree with you guys. Amazing. I thought it was fantastic. Not my, like, top thing, though. Like, to me, the writing and the acting deserves all the accolades in this movie. Like, the characters were written big, and everybody fit them. Everybody Ev- delivered. Everybody just stepped into those shoes and was fine. Um, This is a small thing, but a small boon for casting. Tristan could absolutely be those people's children a hundred percent like mark you literally thought it was the same guy you were like that's true is that the same guy and i was like no believe it or not that's his kid and that being said ben barnes and charlie cox do look remarkably similar well i don't think it was charlie cox when he was a young man charlie cox was tristan ben barnes was dunston young dunston yes before he checked in yeah youngston youngston youngton uh Okay, one other thing that I really liked about this movie, again, this sort of plays off the writing, but, like, everyone figures shit out really quickly. <laughs> yeah. And god damn it, I love that. There's nothing that I fucking hate more than, like, writing that relies on characters, not only ignorance, but, like, willful ignorance. When your character just, like, they make a stupid decision because they can't fucking put the pieces together... That is so aggravating to me. And we are not waiting around. They, they, basically, it was like, we've got so much to cram into this fucking movie. We don't have time to Eddie just waiting around for this character to figure out what the fuck's going to happen. The character's going to figure it out right away. And the strife, the challenge is going to come from circumstantial shit that's out of the character's control that's going to happen anyway. Well, they actually make a joke of that in the scene where Primus dies. Because he's in the bath talking to a vein and she's wearing the gem around her neck. Yeah. And all of the ghost brothers are like, uh, uh, the, the, the ruby, the stone, the, look. It's right she, there. Look over there. It's, it's, <laughs> she, it's right there. And then he's like, wait, that necklace. And they're like, ah, oh, finally. But he doesn't miss it. He doesn't miss it. And, and it only the... takes about a minute. Yeah. And again, sometimes, like, there are a couple of instances where this is, like, done almost to comical effect, where, like, like, again, we've mentioned Tristan, like, just suddenly is perfectly fine with the Babylon candle. That one was maybe a bit far, but, like, everything else, like, the love, there was no, like, does she like me? Oh, my God, just... Do I like, do I like him? Oh, are we ever going to figure this out? Oh, just us. It was just like, no, we've spent some time together and I've come to the conclusion that I love you. Oh, really? I love you too. That's great. We're in love now. The end. Yep. Like, there was no... There was no will they won't. Oh, God, I hate it so much. And then... uh, No Ross and Racheling. Her turning into a rock thing? Like, he saw the stardust and he was like... He fucking just... He was like, oh, shit. Understood it. He's like, what happens if the rest of her body crosses that threshold? (laughs) Oh, my God, she will be a rock. I need to get back to the wall immediately. Fucking post-haste. Yep. Like, I loved how quickly the characters figured shit out in this movie. Um... Since there was nothing that we didn't like, do we want to move on to quotes? No, we can probably we can probably eddy a little bit on that. You know, I think we can kind of eddy on that, you know. Okay, so I'm going to throw out some things that I didn't like. You guys are going to challenge me. Yes, yep. we will. Yes, and we I'm going to bring up irrefutable points, and you guys are going to concede them. Fair enough. That sounds like us. That that's, sounds, that sounds yeah. We have a good history of that. Yeah, so... <laughs> All right, so we're going to start, we're going to start off uh, light, and I'm going to say this movie... Oh boy. Oh boy. 
Mark is sweating. Don't blame me. Blame the person that wrote the notes down while they were watching the movie. Okay? I'm going to blame that guy. That guy happens to share the same face as you, but... Yeah. (laughs) Okay. This, uh, these adjectives are in reference to my ambiguous feeling while watching the movie. Okay? Thin and empty. Let me describe that. That was hard to hear, but... Okay. Yeah, I, I get it, I get it, I get it. <laughs> that um, hurt a little bit, yep. but I'll allow it. Everything that I've said up to this point, I still hold true, including Thin and Empty. I had a very difficult time, and it's so hard for me to articulate, you know, kind of what I mean. It's definitely like an intangible thing. I had a hard time connecting with the universe. I appreciated it for what it was, but it felt like a story to me and not a world that was real. I appreciated... The bits and pieces of it, the the cogs. I appreciated the creativity and the world building, but for whatever reason, I was unable to attach myself to it. I felt like it was too clean. I felt like it, it never felt dirty, even though we were we were around pirates and like it just felt sterile. I feel like a response of both points, but I feel like the reason behind the sterility, even though there was like throat cutting and like you oh, know, yeah. all that stuff, I feel like that is the vibe that fairy tales are meant to exude, right? They are meant to be high and tight. They're not meant for grit. They're not meant for, you know, meandering around into sort of like tertiary characters or plot lines. They are meant to be high and tight. And basically this was a modern fairy tale that was adapted to exude that same type of vibe. Well, I will say to Mark's point, I get why he feels that way because you're right. It is a fairy tale and it reads like a fairy tale and it plays like a fairy tale. Being that. I think think that's what I was trying to say, right? It's like, like, Mark, I don't think you're wrong. I just think that's what they were going for. Not the thin part. The thin part I'll address later. Yeah. Uh, But. If you're familiar with Neil Gaiman, you know that he can get really dark. So they could have taken this movie into a rated R direction. But that's and I have not read the story that this is based I on. I haven't either. It is possible that it is much darker, and they, they churched it up for the movie. But even that's the thing. Like, there were super dark elements. We had people getting decapitated. The witches were, like, pulling animals out of cages and then just cutting them open and playing with their interests. One of the one of the witches got eaten by said animal. Yeah. Another one got impaled against the wall. There were dark elements. There there, there were things that were heavy. Yeah. But for whatever reason I never felt connected to it. And maybe maybe the point that you guys are bringing up you keep calling it a fairy tale and I previously didn't draw a distinction between fantasy and fairy tale and maybe that's a part of the rub. That, like, I'm comparing this to fantasies. I'm comparing this to, like, Lord of the Rings and, like, other movies like that that felt, like, gritty and real and, like, yes, it's it's a story. Obviously, this is not real. But with those types of movies, I felt like it was tangible. I never felt like this movie was tangible. It's funny that you bring up Lord of the Rings and in the context of fairy tales because, like, I'm, I'm right now, I'm, like, halfway through the Tolkien Reader, which is, like, a small compilation of some of Tolkien's writings. And one of the things was, like, his opinion about what makes a fairy tale a fairy tale and i'm not gonna like bastardize it and try and remember exactly like what i heard but it's just it's fascinating that you brought up those two elements independently because in the tolkien reader tolkien himself goes into what makes a fairy tale and what separates it from fantasy which is kind of fascinating 
and, and again, not not to go too deep into the woods, but was his explanation sort of was it at least within the vein of what we're talking about? I think so. Yeah, I think there's like a yeah, there are like structural elements and like you know common themes and tropes that I think he argues, if memory serves, because I like I said, I'm in the middle of it, but I'm in the middle of it in the sense that I read half of it like a few months ago, and it's sitting by my bedside stand, and I've picked up another book in the meantime, so I'm like it's a little cold for me. But as I seem to recall, yes, he talks about common themes and tropes that like make fairy tales distinct from fantasy as a genre overall. Um, well, and there's fantasy and then there's high fantasy. Yes, there are subgenres of fantasy, yeah. but fairy tales are something that are sort of distinct in the sense that like they existed prior to our modern conception of fantasy literature. Um, the Princess Bride. Would we call this a fantasy? Would we call this a fairy tale? Princess Bride is a fantasy. Okay. I would say all fairy tales would fall under the auspice of fantasy. I think they are very specialized and, like I said, so specialized in the sense that, like, they didn't grow out of the genre. They were something that were independent. They were something that, like, fairy tales were told to children hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago. You know, I would not classify Princess Bride as a fairy tale under the auspices of fantasy. I feel like you could make a well-reasoned argument that it would be, but... I because I, and the only but reason I bring it up <clears throat> is that like that's very different from like a like Tolkien's work or you know and maybe I should be more specific the cinematic interpretations of Tolkien's work because we're we're just talking about movies Princess Bride felt tangible you know there was something that prevented me from connecting to this world even though I could appreciate its nuances and its nuts and bolts so I said we're gonna circle back to Thin and the inability to connect do you think maybe and this is like like you said it's intangible you don't know what's causing you to feel that way do you think possibly that you would have felt different if we watched this on a different night like is this just like how it's hitting you now or do you feel like this is a sort of fundamental characteristic of the movie uh and i mean that's impossible for me to like right right gut feeling like do do you feel like it's something that might be different if you felt slightly different or watched it by yourself or with your kids versus with us i don't think so because i i still it didn't inhibit it Inhibit, it did not inhibit me from appreciating many aspects of this movie. Because like I said, I would recommend this. I do fall over the 50%. There are a lot of things that I would call out as being awesome about this movie. But there's a there's a barrier for me. So I, I can't answer your question, but that's how I would try to create a foundation for my opinion. That I, I feel like I'm able to like be a little bit more objective with, with my pros and cons. Anyway, should we move on to another thing that I didn't like? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. All right. Good luck refuting this. Convenient plot points were everywhere in this movie. Like, I mean, we we talked about the whole, like, I couldn't, like, explode and, like, kill off the bad guy because I wasn't around you long enough. Like, that didn't, like, what? Like, that felt so convenient, you know? I don't know. I just feel like that's the nature of, like, not only, like, fantasy in general, but, like, a fairy tale, right? Is like, why didn't she just slit Rumpelstiltskin's throat and like <laughs> get out of there? Like, I don't know. I just like back to the thin thing. It feels like a thin thing to attack on in the sense that it's just like there are going to be convenient plot points because that's what makes it fantastical. See, I don't think that the supernova was thin at all. And here's why. How do you feel when the person you love most hugs you very tightly? I feel right. Okay. 
she was under the impression that Tristan had left her. She was absconded by the witches, and suddenly he shows up to save the day, and she is over the moon, overjoyed, like, ecstatic. And you can see she's physically glowing, but she's also in the throes of trauma. She sees a way out. She has an idea. And she grabs him, and she holds him very warmly, and the feelings that that act evoked caused her to glow in such a way that was irrevocable. But again, like, those plot points, right? Like, that's what makes it amazing. You know, there is a genre of fantasy that doesn't deal in convenient plot points and, like, near misses. It's written by George R.R. R. Martin. And it's just like, this is what happens when we pull out all of the sort of, like, convenient saves. Yeah. Right? Like... People die. People die. And they die horribly. And then other people take their place. And then those people die horribly. Yep. And that's just it, right? Is, like, what makes a good fantasy tale is the characters almost meeting their maker over and over and over only to be saved by really convenient things wasn't it so convenient that luke just happened to have like a grappling hook belt buckle that he could swing across this random chasm in the middle of the death star when escaping with leia wasn't it like super convenient it was so convenient that he had that doesn't make star wars a bad movie that makes it sci-fi and fantasy right is like you have to have these near misses wasn't it super convenient that the one ring happened to fall into the hands of someone that was so very not easily corrupted as would an elf or a man or a dwarf or an orc, but a lowly hobbit. I mean, it meandered a bit. All I'm saying is convenience doesn't necessarily make a bad plot point. That's fair. But again, without the convenience... It's usually a really shitty story. Yeah. Right? It's because like, if something amazing didn't happen, then we're, we're, we wouldn't be interested in it. Because without the convenience, Tristan would have been killed, the star would have been eaten, and the witch would have lived forever. Which, I still would watch that, but it's not the same movie. Yeah, I don't know. Okay, the only concession that, the only concession that I will make. Is popcorn. Yeah, that's fine. Um, maybe what we are butting into is a genre that, I don't enjoy as much because the things that you guys are bringing up, I can't necessarily refute them and they, they do stitch together well and, and, and whatnot. Maybe I just don't dig on the fairy tale aspect of it. And I, that's I valid. I, I don't know. Like, I like that sort of putting a bow on it, but if it weren't for the fact that you brought up Princess Bride, which I would sort of lay the... You call that fairy tale. I would say that that has very, very, if, if I wouldn't call it fairy tale outright, I would say it has super duper strong elements of fairy tale. And the fact that like you like that and didn't like this suggests that something else might be the cause for, I shouldn't say you didn't like this, but you, you like that considerably more than you like this. There were things about this that bugged you suggests that those elements may not be the fact that it's fairy tale, but may be rooted in something yeah. else. And it's impossible for me to compare them one to one because Princess Bride is just ripping in nostalgia for me so it, i'm completely biased i think that i mean again kind of back to the whole like if you'd watch this alone if you'd watch this with you know your kids or whatever like that maybe if you watched this in 2007 when jackson and i watched it maybe you'd have a different connection to it and, and i would say that's... which maybe that's a good thing maybe that's a good thing for the viewing audience right is we're trying to steer people to movies that we think are really good and maybe jackson and i have like a little bit of blinders on Rose when it comes to lenses yeah it comes to this movie I don't know. And, and, uh, Probably not, because Jackson and I are, like, really, really good at picking out great movies, and we're very objective all the time. All, all the, the time. time. And Mark is terrible at it. Yeah. That's what uh, I'm we, we thought he was really good until this movie, and then, you know. 
<laughs> Starting to rethink some things. It's fine, you know. I, I don't have to be surrounded by people that are right all the time. <laughs> sometimes I can be surrounded by people that are wrong. That's true. I'm not saying you guys are wrong. And I'm just saying listen. Sometimes. Jackson and I are the best at that too. <laughs> it's true. We are the best at being right and wrong. <laughs> I'm a pro. But no, I, I I really do think that like having the opinion of somebody who didn't see this at sort of a formative age. Even though, I mean, I sh- maybe I shouldn't say formative age. I mean, I was like, I was an adult, but I was a very young adult. You know, it was still like... I was knee-deep in my teens when I saw this. Whoa, I didn't did not see you using that adjective. But okay, yes. You I were deeply in your regret teens. it now. <laughs> um, yeah, but no, I think having that perspective is, is important. Um, was there anything else that you super-duper liked? Mike? Well, we, we did transition into, into didn't likes. Um, Damn it. Yeah, saw <laughs> yeah, right yeah. through it. Sorry. <laughs> um, those were the things that I that I kind of brought up, and I think it could all be sort of just summed up with I had a very difficult time connecting to this movie, even though I enjoyed all of the individual pieces. It just didn't resonate with me the same way that it did with you guys. I would say the only thing that I didn't like was the minor inconsistencies, which can be explained away. We already talked about the magic required to transmute a chariot into an ant. There's no explanation as to why Ditchwater Sal can use magic without aging. Uh, there's no explanation as to why the other two witches can use, like, battle magic without aging. But again, it's not really that important. It's fairy tale, I'll allow it. But it was just one of those, I'm like, hmm, I wonder why they can use magic and they don't get old. Maybe it's because they're already super old. Yeah. Maybe it was the magic that was making her young. And by the time she'd expended all that magic, she was just back to her normal form. And the other witches were already in their, like, default phases. Yeah, and that's kind of what I was getting at, was like, maybe it's because they're already super old and they haven't absorbed any magic. But it's fantasy, and they're very unapologetic in their construction of it, so we could just be like, yeah, it could literally be anything. Yep, there's um, no sense quibbling over what it could be. But I was just kind of like, hmm, I wonder why. And honestly, that's a really smart move because the second you start bringing into it, this is how the magic works, you are opening yourself up for plot holes. Yep. And so by not doing it, I think they save themselves a lot of trouble. By not writing any rules to the game, you can't break any rules to the game. Exactly, exactly. And and even though I brought up these things to kind of pick at it, none of these things pulled me out of... I know I just got saying I had a hard time connecting with it, but like these little inconsistencies, that wasn't the reason why, you know? Um, I didn't even notice that the other witches were using it. So, like, I bring those things up for fun, not because those were elements that I disliked or that mm-hmm. I would I would count as, as negative towards the movie. Are we ready to move on to quotes? Quotes! quotes. <laughs> Who wants to lead us off? I will, uh, because I had one, and it was a throwaway line that I don't feel is good. Uh... <laughs> At some point, one of the characters says, you stupid cow, and it made me chuckle, and I wrote it down. I, like I said, had a hard time connecting with it, so I'm going to kind of, like, back out and say that none of these quotes really jumped out at me. So, you guys take the floor. Way to be a stupid cow, Mark. Yep. (laughs) I will take that one. I'm sorry, I had to because of the quote, but... (laughs) I I wrote that one down as well. Um, So, in the scene where they are trying to evade the witch by using the Babylon candle and they get stuck in the clouds, he says, what did you do? And she says, what did I do? What did you do? What do you mean, think of home? You thought of home and I thought of home and we ended up halfway between. And he goes, oh, you stupid cow, what did you think of home for? That's the full line. 
<laughs> so I have Multipole. Multipole? Elon <laughs> McClellan. So five quotes, including that one. Uh, my first one is when he gets back from getting his ass beat by the guard at the wall and talks to his dad. He's holding a stake over his black eye and his dad goes, oh man, did you get in a fight with Humphrey again? And he goes, no, it was the guard at the wall. He says, Tristan, the guard is 97 years old. Yeah, well, that's given him plenty of time for practice now, hasn't it? (laughs) My second one is right after he crashes into a vein and decides, oh, hey, you're a star. Perfect. I'm going to take you home to Victoria and give you as a birthday present because that's a normal thing that people do. She says, says, oh, yeah, nothing says romance like the gift of a kidnapped, injured woman. (laughs) That is among the more recognizable quotes of this movie. I do love that. Because it all boils down to that. Right. (laughs) And when they got captured by Captain Shakespeare and his crew, his band of merry misfits, he's talking about all the ways they could die. He says, well, once we get out of here, if we don't get murdered by pirates. And she goes, ah, murdered by pirates, heart cut out and eaten, meet Victoria. Can't decide which sounds more fun. I love that Meet Victoria was on the same, like, <laughs> on par with... Right up getting, there with getting your heart Getting my cut heart cut out and eaten, yeah. Which, having seen and heard Victoria... Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's not far off. Yeah. Get it. Uh, my last one, she's on the deck of the ship dancing with Captain Shakespeare. They're waltzing. And he says, I know what you are. Don't worry. No one on this crew will hurt you. And she says, how did you know? And he goes, you're glowing. She goes, well, of course I'm glowing. I'm a star. And what do stars do best? And he says, well, certainly not the waltz. <laughs> Jesus. It was like the most unnecessarily like, savage line. Way to just line. kick her when she's down, Jeez. man. Does not have to insult her dancing. Oh, but that's true. She, he wasn't wrong. He but, wasn't wrong. You know, it's, you don't have to be rude about it. Uh, okay, so I've got three quotes left. So the first one is Victoria at the secret picnic with Tristan. She's talking about how Humphrey is going to Ipswich to pick up a ring. And he puts it together that it's a wedding ring. And rumor has it he's going to propose on her birthday. Tristan says to her, and you intend to say yes? And she goes, well, I can't exactly say no after he's on all the way to Ipswich. (laughs) Which is... Like it's far. Amazing. But also, like, they went out of their way, so I guess I'll spend the rest of my life with them. Right. He went to the next town over. Like, that's kind of a big deal, I guess. (laughs) The next one is Robert De Niro's character, Captain Shakespeare. As we said, in private, he's very fabulous. And he's, like, talking to them, again, about how he doesn't love his line of work and how he would like to do other things. And they're basically like, why don't you dress how you want, act how you want, blah, blah, blah. And at one point he goes, you ever try to get bloodstains out of a silk shirt? Nightmare. Just so good. It's so like, even though this is kind of early in his character, it's so on brand for his character. Absolutely. I, I freaking love it. No one could have delivered that line better than Robert De Niro. Oh my God, dude. The fact Which that doesn't Robert sound like, when you say it, it doesn't sound right. It doesn't. Like, but... it, it doesn't sound like, it honestly sounds like nobody would have delivered that line worse than Robert De Niro until you see him in action and you're like, oh no, 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 no. Oh no. Oh no, no, no. He's perfect. Yep. He's yeah. like the perfect casting for this. And then my last line is, probably my favorite line in the entire movie. Um, So Tristan and Septimus are outside the witch's mansion and at the end of the movie they've got Claire Danes and Tristan's mom and they're about to do some killing. So he and Septimus kind of team up even though Septimus is kind of a shithead. They team up and they decide to sort of storm the palace together and Septimus is kind of giving them a plan like you do this and I'm going to do this and blah 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 and then all of a sudden Tristan like sort of interrupts him and he goes wait how do I know you can be trusted? And Septimus goes you don't. Why? Do you have a choice? And Tristan just goes, 
No, it says it was like, okay, well, let's go. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> so on point. It's so on point. It's like I don't know. You can be trusted. Uh, do, do, he like what's what's great is Septimus's face is like g- genuine confusion. Like why do you have a do you have a choice? Do you have a choice that I'm not aware of? Right? Because I like I, I'm open to options. Yeah, here. I was under the impression that you didn't have a choice. But if you have something that you are not sharing with me, please let me know. Like yeah. it, it wasn't you don't have a choice. It was wait, wait why do you have a choice? <laughs> like, it's like, is there a plan B that I wasn't aware of? <laughs> and then, of course, he confirms no. And then he goes, yeah, well, okay, then the plan I was just describing is yep. what we're going to do. So yep. get on with get it. Get the fuck in the mansion. <laughs> Open the door and do some killing, man. <laughs> are we ready to... Are we learning? Are we ready to I, rate this? I believe yeah. we are. Let's rate this a beach. Uh, who wants to start us off? I think you should, Mark. Oh. Jackson thinks you should, and I agree. i'm very eager to hear this i'm gonna give this a 5.8 okay rubies Mm. that's okay all right it's it's all right right. over the 50 percent. i gotcha yeah 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 yeah. i gotcha i gotcha i gotcha rubies Rubies. were a fundamental part is your hesitation on my no, metric? It's, no, a, it's on no, my no, metric, isn't no, it? No, it's on good. my metric, isn't it? You no, wanted me to pick a different metric? No, no. <laughs> you wanted me to pick a different metric. Well, <laughs> I'm sticking with this metric, Ruby. No, I. It's funny. You, it's funny you say five point eight because I feel like based on what you sort of said, described your perception of this movie, I feel like five point eight is pretty spot on from what what I was picking up from you. Yeah. Um. So I, I I'm not actually surprised at that. I was expecting if you had gone below five, I would have I think thrown hands. But <laughs> you're good. You're good. <laughs> Thanks. I'm glad that you guys approved my subjective rating. It means a lot to me that I got your approval on my rating. <laughs> Jorkson. Uh, I I liked this movie more than Mark. How many more? Uh, 9.1. Holy shit. Holy shit. But it does track. He said he's seen the thing like a hundred times. Yeah. It is one of wow. my all-time favorite movies. Wow. Uh, 9.1 Gay Lightning Pirates. Ooh. Ooh. That's better than Ruby's. <laughs> <laughs> no, I own this movie in three different formats, and I watch it regularly. It is also one of Alyssa's favorite movies. And that's saying something. Yes. Based upon everything we've heard. Yes. Because she don't like the movies. She might actually listen to this episode if I tell her what movie it is. And I meant no offense by that, Alyssa. <laughs> None. Uh, okay, so I will give this movie 7.1 Fratricides. Oh. That's a good word. That's a good word. Is that what you were just Googling? <laughs> I was confirming that the plural of fratricide was fratricides. And not something wonky like fratricide or, or fratricidity. Like fratricidity. But in what context would you use fratricide? Uh, a brother in a, killed in a another. As you say, in the context of a brother killing a sibling. In a plural aspect. You have two brothers. You've killed both of them. You've committed multiple fratricides. Correct. Sure. Fratricider? What would be one who perpetrates? Uh, fratricider. Fratricider. <laughs> okay so what are we what are we uh what other ratings might we have for this do we do we have another rating like a scene score getting better at that yeah. every week Ooh. okay so here's the rating chilling. Dang, that is a sweet rating, you might say. You might say. Let's kick it off with our familiarity. We had a pretty good response this week. Thank you to everybody who responded. Average familiarity out of 10 was a 3.5. Wow. 
Um, I think that's probably where I thought it would be. I expected more. Really? I think in the general population, I would expect less, but because I think we have a little bit of a biased sample. We do. Sample. Yeah. Our average score was 7.3, which I think is super appropriate because it's only 0.2 off of what I gave it. So, um... <laughs> and it's only two below mine and it's only two above Mark's. So... This is, this could be our biggest spread. Of any movie. I think you might be right. I, but, we, uh, but we did a good job of like, Jackson, you went real high. I went, you know, real low. I think you went real moderate. Well, yeah. Again, still over the 50% yeah. mark. Yeah. You know. You went like aggressively moderate. You were like, oh my god, I gotta pick a color for this room. I I'm went, gonna pick beige. I yeah. was uncharacteristically <laughs> low. You know? I would Maybe. say that's accurate. Yeah. Typically I float in like you, the six to seven. I was just saying, you don't typically rate that low. So the scene score with sort of like a good amount of familiarity, not a ton, but a decent amount of familiarity and a 7.3 on our average score is a 7.8. Wow. Which, yeah, right? I mean, Mark, you'd give it, you know, you said 5.8, but you'd give it an extra little something something because this movie is the kind of movie that just... I'm happy to have seen it and I would recommend it because it was enjoyable. It's a good wreck to have in the back pocket, right? Yeah. Yeah. I would recommend this to anybody that breathes. (gasps) Mark breathed. Hey, Mark. Yes? Did you ever, uh, did you ever watch Stardust? Oh, you know, I did recently see that. Yeah? You know? What'd you think? I, uh, you know, I gave it a 5.8 rubies. Oh, that's fair. <laughs> that's fair. That's respectable. Okay. So, 7.8 scene score. That is all for the All Crap Review for Laura Dern. We are. We well, are. Thank you for listening. If you have ideas for movie reviews, please check out our brand spanking new form where you can submit movies. Oh, uh, we're going to try and do this little thing where every once in a while, you know, we're still kind of playing around with the idea, but we're thinking maybe once every five movies or so, um, we're going to take an audience recommendation at random and we'll review that instead of our very well curated list and gives you guys kind of a way to throw something at us, a curveball, especially something that maybe I haven't seen, which would be cool. You know, not that I've seen every movie out there, but like we said, this is a biased sample. It's coming out of my collection. So, or if you've got other movies that seem similar to movies that we've reviewed, please reach out to us at three that is the number three men and a basement at gmail.com send us an email we'll read it out on the on the air is this the air technically yeah it's a recording yeah, yeah. we'll read it on the air the ether and you know it'll kind of help point people in the direction of other movies that they might enjoy you can also check us out at our website t-m-a-a-b that stands for three men and a basement.podbean.com you can sign up for our newsletter get a short weekly survey also be sure to check out planet mud it is not only an exceedingly graphic porn as mark has pointed out i love how we're like just maintaining this like porn yep it's not porn no it is a porn yes which hits the ear it is horribly it is a one singular porn i mean that's a dirty planet yes Um, yeah voluptuous Yes. It's got mountains. Uh, they are opening up for uh, Goat Tits Up with their hit single, Surprisal. One of my all-time favorites. You love getting surprised. Absolutely. They're a bad band, I tell you what. Ah! <laughs> yeah, Goat, okay, I'm with you there with the, I tell you what. It's the kind of thing that, like, the fellas from King of the Hill would listen to Goat Tits Up. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, Saggy Witch Tits. They're headlining, but they're not going to be on for much later. You got to wait, wait for the magic to wear off. Yeah, that is a it's a guilty pleasure of mine. Them Saggy Witch Titties. They're fantastic. I love how like they're not always the same. You know, yeah. Sometimes one can be a little different than the other. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. You sometimes say... the stage is a little heavy on the right. Right keeps you guessing. Yeah. yeah, I mean it's not left, but you know. So all these bands and more are on tour now. You could also find us. 
the three men. The old creps on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. Until then, I am Colin McLeod. Mark up. Action Jackson. And we will see you in cyberspace. Ellen McClellan. Ellen McClellan. Surprousal. Mm-hmm.